1: What I saw or believe the Spirit has been showing me uh, today is Yeshua walking on the water. Matthew 14 talks about, you all probably know the story of Peter. Um, the, The word that came to me was, what's impossible with man is possible with God. And when you look at that story with Peter, at first, he walked on the water. But then he looked at the wind and he got afraid and he started sinking. And so, you know, Yeshua pulls him up. And so what I was thinking is a lot of times in life we're going through whatever God's put on us to do, whether it's ministry or he's put a path before us, and it gets hard. And if we're all honest, we probably, we get to that point where we say, oh, no, I I don't want to do this, God, you know, I'm just going to go back or this is too hard. But he wants us to see it's not in our flesh. It's That's where he is saying, it's in me. I'm, I'm going to make it possible. Mm-hmm. You see it as impossible, but I'm going to make it possible. I walked on the water. You can do that with my strength. Mm-hmm. And that's just been really strong, strong within me today. Um, and also the situation of, I know I've been in life where I've been in an impossible situation of, a path I shouldn't have been on. But God is saying, with with man, it's impossible for you to get out of this. Okay. But trust in me. Trust in my spirit. I will bring you out of it. Yeah. And that's just been really, really on my heart, and I pray that that would bless someone.
0: Amen. Thank you. Praise God. Um, what God was
2: showing me a lot during the songs, especially some of the songs we sang, was the word was to surrender um, and what that really means. We were, I was going through a Bible study one of the things in there, in the book, was talking about a man's journey and his, uh, and it was he came to a point in his life where you know we a lot of times say, well, I surrender or Lord, you know, change me or, you know, we we stop and in the challenge in there, I'm, I'm paraphrasing the exact words he used, but basically it was, Lord, I surrender no matter what. I cha- I will change no matter what. Like no matter what you bring me. I'm going to trust you that that's better. And he said that's when his life changed. He said, before I always said I surrender, but I didn't get specific mm-hmm. with the Lord. And I, didn't, and I always had my reservations about what I was willing to change for the Lord. And he said, when I said that to the Lord, that no matter what you want to do, he said, my life changed forever. Mm-hmm. And he said, it's a testimony that a lot of people have given. And, and I did that with the Lord during that time. And it has been. And I've seen the Lord take away things that I didn't think I could live with, or live without. I've seen him take away income and replace it. Um, I've seen a lot of things that I probably would have held on to. Have y'all seen that movie? I'll just last thing I'll share. Have y'all seen that movie, A Wing and a Prayer, on uh-huh. Amazon Prime? Yeah. Remember when he told him to let go? Mm-hmm. And it didn't make any sense to let go. In his mind, every single thing about that letting go of the wheel made zero of the you know that made no sense whatsoever. But the person that had experience knew mm-hmm. that that's the only way he'd make it. That's our God. Amen. Yeah, amen. Amen.
3: Sorry. Uh, I was a little late getting here for prayer this morning, but not by much. But when I walked in the room, uh, Taylor was sitting on that back chair. They weren't in a circle. And she was singing and playing. And Leslie was going on each row and touching it and praying over it. And when I walked in that door, and I, I sat down in the first chair I could find because the spirit was so strong in here and, um, and started singing and praying with them. And uh, I just, you know, I think that showed in the songs that we sang and how everyone felt that spirit. Mm-hmm. And I'm just so appreciative of the time and effort that people take to do things like that, to to lead us into yes. uh, an atmosphere mm-hmm. that is so conducive to just opening your heart and just letting that lion out, you know. <laughs> so, anyway.
0: Amen. Absolutely. It really is important how we prepare to encounter the Lord. It, it is important coming with expectancy, creating an atmosphere for His presence to move in. And that, that atmosphere begins... Not when we wake up Saturday morning, it's throughout the whole week, right? As we prepare our hearts to come, but then we have to prepare a place. You know, and how do we then come and prepare a place for His presence to come and be a part as well? And so, um, I really encourage anyone to come and be a part of that prayer beforehand, um, because God's moving, and then it's part of cultivating this atmosphere. So yes, I'm very grateful too for all those who come and participate in in that, so that when others come through the door, they get to walk into into God's presence. It's a beautiful thing. And we get to do it collectively as a community. Praise God. And and absolutely, His presence was so powerful in worship. Um, With the glorify thy name, just saying that over and over, It was so powerful because i was just thinking about what does it really mean what does it look like for god's name to be glorified in all the earth and his name being glorified in all the earth is knowledge of him spreading not just knowing of him but actually coming to realize that he is the creator of all things he's the one who brings restoration he is the hope of all mankind and for his name to be known through all the earth wow Glorify your name, Lord, now in our midst, within us, and beyond. Amen. So this morning, I feel like the overall message is about us having a king like no other, and really about a God who restores, renews, redeems, and calls forth. All these things kind of mashed into one, so come up with a title from that. Uh, but it's, he is like no other. There's, there's no one who can compare to him. We've talked about, as we've walked through the past several weeks, we've talked about the exes from Egypt and how God redeemed his people from a tyrant so that he could take a people unto himself, so that he could be a righteous king unto them, and that they could live in freedom, which freedom is being under his righteous rule. And there's a a few things, as I was thinking on how he is so different from any other, and he doesn't leave those who fall down behind, right? If I think about uh, some very, well, okay, so I like Band of Brothers. as a show I, I really enjoyed. And there's a time when all the people are running in formation, and they have this leader who is really harsh. He prepared them very well, but he was really harsh. And somebody stumbles, and they're starting to fall out of the running and people start to try to help him. He says, do not help that man. Do not help that man, right? But that's not how our king is. Our king says, no, when you see someone stumble under their burden, you help them and lift up their burden with them. Right? He doesn't leave a fallen man behind. He seeks and saves that which is lost. He doesn't hold our failures out over our heads. But instead, he shows us the way forward. He gives us atonement and says, you may have stumbled, but I will lift you up. You still have Good works to do. You still have a path to move forward in. And the bread that he gives us doesn't serve to keep us enslaved, but serves to bring us to rest and to freedom. In Luke 19.10, Yeshua was talking to uh, the people at the time that Zacchaeus had invited Yeshua into his house. And Yeshua said, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And that passage harkens back to Ezekiel 34. Ezekiel 34, verses 11 through 16 says, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep. And I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel." I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. And then further on in the passage in verses 23 through 24, he says, And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. So within this passage, God's promising the redemption. He's promising the restoration to those who sit in exile, who've been scattered abroad, who, see, who feel as though hope may be lost but he's going to give them hope. He's going to set a righteous shepherd over them, and he's going to bring them back into their land and feed them and give them rest. And it's so cool just as, you know, when we were talking just the words shared beforehand about with man, it's impossible. With God, it is possible. And then trusting in him to give us all that we need and that he's going to bring forth the redemption and that his name would be glorified in all the earth. In this passage, we see that, exact thing talked about. He's going to bring them back and place one shepherd over them and restore what was lost. And I feel like that we see some images of this in this week's portion. We're going into Shemini this week, which involves the dedication of the temple or the tabernacle, if you will. And we read in Leviticus 9, 1 through 6 what happens as the tabernacle is completing its inauguration. So for seven days, Moses has prepared the tabernacle, and the priests have been undergoing their consecration, staying there at the tabernacle at the tent of meeting for seven days. And they're preparing for the day in which the tabernacle is permanently erected. And here in Leviticus 9, starting in verse 1, the scripture says, On the eighth day, Moses called Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel, and he said to Aaron, Take for yourself a bull calf for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering, both without blemish, and offer them before the Lord. And say to the people of Israel, Take a male goat for a sin offering and a calf and a lamb, both a year old without blemish for a burnt offering and an ox and a ram for peace offerings, to sacrifice before the Lord and a grain offering mixed with oil, for today the Lord will appear to you. And they brought what Moses commanded in front of the tent of meeting, and all the congregation drew near and stood before the Lord. And Moses said, this is the thing that the Lord commanded, commanded you to do, that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. How about that? Glorify your name. <laughs> and so they're doing this for God's, well, they've, they've created a, a sanctuary for God to dwell, where his presence can be in their midst, where he can bring the next level of restoration of mankind. And now the priests are being put in place. Now do these things that God's glory may be in your presence. And so, and we will see later on that God's presence does come down when they complete these offerings. But in this in this passage, we probably didn't see it because we're reading it in English. There is a restoration that is taking place for Aaron that we're going to take a look at. The restoration that God brings is individual and it's national. And today we're going to look at a couple of individual aspects and look at a national aspect. And we're going to start with this one regarding Aaron. Okay, so if we looked at Leviticus 9.2, Moses said to Aaron, take for yourself a bull calf. In Hebrew it's agel, take an agel for a sin offering, and a ram for a burnt offering, both without blemish, and offer them before the Lord." Now, the reason that we stre- I'm stressing that it says Eagle is because that's not what was written in Leviticus 4, verse 3, when the commands were given regarding what a high priest would bring as a sin offering. In Leviticus 4, 3, if it is the anointed priest who sins thus bringing guilt on the people, then he shall offer for the the sin that he has committed a bull, a par, from the herd without blemish to the Lord for a sin offering. Now, the word par is the word that is normally used for a bull and for the sin offering. But in this one case, it's called an eagle. So is it different than a par? Like, did Aaron not bring a par? Did he bring an eagle or did he bring both? It's just God called it an eagle in this moment because he wanted to tell Aaron and us something. Okay? The command is to bring a par. So not bringing a par would be to go against the scripture. So why an eagle? An eagle is the word, it's only used... On what, to describe one other incident in all of the Torah. The other incident in all of the Torah, first five books of Moses that it's referring to, is the golden calf. The golden calf was the golden eagle. And so think about what's happening here. Okay, let, let's go back here. We'll go to Exodus 32, verses 2 through 4. Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden eagle. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. So Aaron had a part that he played in the sin of the golden calf. And now here he is being placed in the position of the high priest over all of Israel. And, and now it's inauguration day. He's gone through seven days of preparation. He's getting ready to perform the service that will be the, the really his first act as high priest. And Moses says, hey, uh, bring an eagle. Now to you and me, that sound like Moses. Are you trying to rub something in? Are you trying to say, hey, Aaron, you're you're not fit? Aaron, you uh he remember you remember that thing that happened? I just I don't know if you're all right. But really what's what's coming up is that this is a chance of redemption. It's not God coming and beating Aaron down. He's saying, Yeah, this the what happened with the golden calf under your watch. I do know about it. But now I'm asking you to bring this offering. This sin offering for yourself and for the nation, and I'm going to bring redemption. I'm going to restore it. I'm not hanging it over your head. I'm letting you put it behind you because you need to put it behind you because of the calling I have for you. I'm not going to look at you according to this. I'm looking forward to what I have for you in the future, and I'm not done with you. And so, God had already forgiven what had taken place, but yet he brings this before Aaron at this moment and it is for the pur- for the purpose of saying you need to let it go i'm bringing atonement for this right now and within that he's actually asking aaron to draw even closer he's showing himself as a compassionate father and when i when i read the story and i think about that aspect of how God was interacting with Aaron to bring restoration to him, a healing for him and a healing for the nation. It reminds me of what took place with Peter at the time when Yeshua was betrayed. And, actually, okay. Actually, I'm in the wrong spot. I don't know if I put these verses in there. John 13 37 to 30, I did, okay. Um, Peter said to him, this, this is when Yeshua is saying that he's, uh, his disciples can't follow him, that he's going to have to go somewhere else. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Yeshua answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. And then later on that night, I mean, we're talking just a short span of time. Yeshua's been arrested. In John 18, 17, a servant girl at the door says to Peter, you're not one of this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I'm not. And just a few verses later in verse 25 to 27, Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. And so they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I'm not. And then one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. And and, in one of the passages, it may have been this one, it says that Peter went out and he wept bitterly because he knew in that moment that Yeshua knew That he had denied him these three times. And for a disciple to deny his rabbi was just unthinkable. Unthinkable. And now here he is. He did it just a few hours after in Yeshua's greatest time of need, after he said, I would die for you. So he's weeping and weeping because not only is his rabbi and who he thought was the Messiah who was going to redeem all Israel Now arrested and on trial. Now he's denied him and now he's cut off. How, how can you restore that? You can't restore that. So then Yeshua, and then to think about Peter seeing Yeshua on the cross. Oh, he said, I'll die for you. And then he goes, I didn't. And, and now Yeshua has died, but he resurrects. And hope is being restored. But even though hope is restored, Peter has to be saying, you're back. But how can I be restored to you? I denied you the three times. You know it. I know it. There's no way for a disciple to be restored back into that relationship. And so Yeshua speaks to him in John 21, verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Yeshua said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time. I mean, was it not enough, right? Okay, you said it two times, and now you're going a third time. Is this rubbing salt in the wounds? No, it's not. It's redemptive. It's restoring the three times that he denied them. It's giving him three chances to say, I love you, and I'm committed to you. It's a redemption for every denial. Okay? Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. You should have said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Now, if you notice here, it says that Peter was grieved. I don't think Peter knew in the moment that this was a restorative question of, Do you love me? It was one he's going to have to figure out. And I think Yeshua gave him the answer to that in what his response was after this third one. When he said, he said, this is, this is to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Okay. That follow me is huge. That's the restoration because he says, I'm your rabbi. Follow me. It's the invitation to come back and walk anew. It's the, it's the thing that comes back. And it addresses what happened in John 13 when he said, Peter said, Lord, why can I not follow you now? Because Yeshua just said, you can't follow me where I'm going. He's like, but I want to follow you. I'm your follower. I would even die for you. And then he fails. Yeshua redeems the three times through the three questions. And then he says, now you can follow me. You can follow me. It's not over. I still have work for you to do. I still have a plan and a purpose for you. That's part of the restoration. That's part of the thing that only can come through the work of God. That wasn't something that Peter could restore. That was the love of the Father coming through Yeshua to redeem him and bring him back and say, I'm not done with you. I'm seeking and saving that was lost. I'm not just seeking and saving. I'm going to redeem it. I'm going to restore it. I'm going to make you whole so that you can go forward and walk according to my ways. And so, so, the same with what was happening with Aaron. It wasn't the eagle that was to beat him down. It was to say, No, I bring restoration. And this eagle that you're offering is for an atonement an atonement for you and an atonement for the children of Israel. And so, you know, I mentioned how we have individual restoration and there's national restoration. What was happening here as we read back in Leviticus nine was that I was on the eighth day that the priests were coming in and beginning to inaugurate the tabernacle for when it was going to be permanently erected from this point forward. And it would follow the the cloud of the Lord wherever wherever the Lord led them. But this eighth day has a a lot of significance. Eight is the number of new beginnings. It's, it probably sounds familiar to you, the word shemeni, eighth, our, our portion, probably sounds familiar because of shemeni atzeret, which is the eighth day of Sukkot, right? The eighth day of Sukkot, we've talked about it in the past, and I'm sure we'll talk about it again this, this fall. It's looking forward to the age to come. You have seven days which represents seven, seven days of creation, which represents seven millennia of mankind, of this world, that then leads into the world to come, the eighth day representing the world to come. In, in this case, and so we have the eighth day representing the world to come. You have the eighth day, the tabernacle is restored. The eighth day is also a way of looking at the day on which Yeshua was resurrected because he was resurrected on the first day of the week. After the seven days of a week were completed, he was resurrected. So the eighth day is all these new beginnings. New beginnings of the tabernacle. So why is it so important that the eighth day would be a new beginning of the tabernacle? Because the tabernacle was a major step in the restoration of what had been lost back in the garden. Because in the garden, when we look at how the scripture describes it, it says that it was a garden that was enclosed on each side and opening toward the east. Well, that is what the tabernacle is. It, is. it is an enclosure on three sides that opens toward the east. It's a place where God set his ministers to work and to serve. It's a place where God put Adam and Eve to work and to serve. But yet that was lost because of the sin of eating of the forbidden fruit. At that point, mankind lost the garden. They lost God's dwelling presence on the earth. And now God says, I'm reinaugurating my presence on the earth in this tabernacle that you've built. It may have been built by human hands, but it is of heavenly design, and you have created it through motivated hearts bringing all the materials to do it. I gave Moses the design, I gave uh, Betzalel and Aholiab the wisdom and skill to perform the work and now that all the community has come together to build this now my presence will dwell in that place and that's what we see happen in leviticus 9 22 through 24 after the offerings had been made the scripture says then aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them and he came down from offering the the sin offering and the burnt offerings and the peace offerings And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting, and when they came out, they blessed the people. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people, and fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. And the glory of the Lord appeared. It's a beautiful picture of the day in which We'll hear a loud voice from this throne saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is among men and he shall dwell among them and they shall be his people and God himself will be among them. right, we talked about that this past week at the meal of the Messiah, looking forward to the coming of the king and looking forward to the restoration that he's going to bring. And as we mentioned too, okay, so here we are talking about the eighth day. We talked about Yeshua being raised up on the eighth day. And this past week, we talked about Yeshua being the first fruit of the resurrection. And we, t- we talked about him being the first fruit of the resurrection in relation to the omer that is waved in the temple. The omer is a grain offering. It's way, uh, it's a, well, there's really two. There's the one that's done at, at Passover and there's the one that's done at Shavuot. The the one done at Passover is the barley harvest. The one done at Shavuot is the wheat harvest. But the omer is a grain offering before the Lord that is waved. It's, It's taking something that came from the earth, and then it is lifting it up above the earth to wave before the Lord. And you think about, well, why is it waved? Why do they take the grain and they wave it before the Lord? Was it to make sure he sees it over here? No, okay. It wasn't to make sure he sees it, right? Instead, what it was, it was, a, it was a message to the people of this grain came up from the earth. So you might think that this is a gift from creation. It's not a gift from creation. God gave you this bread. This is bread from heaven. So we're lifting it into the heavens before the Lord to present it before him. It's a reminder to us but he's the one who provides all our needs. He's the one who gives the bread, and that bread is bread that came down from heaven. Now, it's a picture of the manna in the wilderness, but it's also a picture of Yeshua our Messiah, right? If Yeshua was the first fruit of the resurrection, if he was waved in the heavenly temple as an offering unto the Lord, then we begin to make multiple connections between this Omer, this barley harvest, and Yeshua, our Messiah. In John 6, 32, Yeshua says, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And then continuing in verse 48, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So Yeshua presents himself as the bread that came down from heaven, the hope that we have the one who is all we need for life. Just as God gives grain to meet our physical need, God gives Yeshua for our spiritual need. Now, the word omer is used only one other time in the first five books of the Torah. And that's in association with the quantity of manna to be gathered in the wilderness. So even this idea of having the Omer offering, waving the barley in the temple at Passover, is to bring us back to a remembrance of God giving the manna in the wilderness. So for Yeshua to make the connection here of himself with the bread in the wilderness it's really making this triangulation of the Omer offering and of the manna in the wilderness and of him as the bread of life. <clears throat> now, with the giving of the manna in the wilderness, God commanded that the children of Israel would go and they would, they would gather an Omer worth. An Omer was essentially what each person could eat for a day. It was a day's supply of bread you would gather an omer and you couldn't leave any of it over until the next day, so it was one day supply. If people tried to gather more, they ended up with one omer. If they gathered less, they ended up with one omer. Interesting, right? But whatever it was, God was giving their need. And um, the bread that God gave in the wilderness, when did he give it to the children? He gave it to them while they were on the road to Sinai. He brought them out of Egypt. They were on their way through the desert and working their way to Sinai, where he was going to bring them into covenant with him. And they called out to God. This is from Exodus 16, verse 1. They set out from Elim. for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. All right, so here they are. They're walking in the wilderness. It's difficult traveling. And they begin to look back fondly to what they had in Egypt. They had meat pots and they ate bread to the full. It's always so easy to say, goodness, what's wrong with them? Okay, But we're there too. Okay, <laughs> We're there too. But... Here they are. Now, they begin to complain and they begin to think back to that about how, hey, you know what? That wasn't so bad. And what do you think the Lord's going to do? Start sending down thunderbolts and say, look, I'm God and start smiting people, right? That's not what he does. The Lord said to Moses, behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them. They're going to gather an Omer every day, that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. Um, let's see. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So on, the, he's saying that on the sixth day, they're going to gather. It'll be a double portion, so they don't have to gather on the seventh day. So Moses sa- said... Uh, your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. Okay. And I stopped there. Now what struck me here this morning, reading that is here, the glory of the Lord appeared just like the glory of the Lord appeared at the tabernacle, just like the glory comes down at the end, there's a restoration that's happening here for the children of Israel as they're, they're seeing God glorified in all the earth. He's making his name known to them and he's bringing a restoration to a pain that they endured under Pharaoh. Now, at the moment, they're not remembering the pain they endured under Pharaoh as a negative thing. They're thinking, hey, you know what? There were pots of meat and there was bread to the full, wasn't that good. And God says, hang on, you're about to see what my goodness looks like. Pharaoh enslaved you. He gave you bread in order to give you fuel to be an efficient slave, not because he loved you, but because it served his benefit. He enslaved you with that bread. That was the bread of affliction. He said, I'm not giving you the bread of affliction. I'm giving you the bread of freedom. I'm giving you bread that will actually bring you to freedom and peace and rest. And he said it right here in the command. On the sixth day, you're going to gather and it's going to be double. He said, on the seventh, seventh day, you'll be able to rest. Whereas Pharaoh would have said, hey, I'm going to give you just enough and you're going to work every day. You're not going to have rest. You're going to produce. God was showing that he was a king far unlike Pharaoh. And in it, he was saying, you look fondly on that. Don't look fondly on that. I'm going to show you what is really a blessing, what provision from a loving father really looks like. And it's it's, it's provision that is life. It is life, it is renewal, and it is restoration. That's the bread that God gives. That's the bread that God gave us in Yeshua. And then when you think about the timing of it, this was on the road from redemption to covenant. It's a close relationship with God. So what did we have at the time of Yeshua? Right? He was the bread that came down from heaven, and then he died. He was that grain of wheat that fell into the earth and died so that it could bring forth a harvest. And he was raised up so that he could be our sustenance as we journey on this path to the time of the restoration and the fullness of the new covenant. Right. So the bread in the wilderness was given to sustain the people as they came to Sinai, and then it sustained them all the way until they came into the promised land so yeshua is the bread that heaven that has come to sustain us from passover to pentecost and on to the final redemption and as we come through and we're walking in this season right now we're counting the omer we're counting the omer and as we do we're counting up from 1 up until the count of 50 When the day of Pentecost, Shavuot, arrives. You know, that's not normal, counting up to something. Isn't it always a countdown? Do you remember, at least this was for me when I was a kid, Thanksgiving would come and we would all start making these little chains of colored papers. They'd be 25 chain links long. So begin doing the countdown to Christmas, and we start ripping off every day. We'd rip off a little link in the chain. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Maybe you. Okay, all right, good. At least some people know. But anyway, it's the countdown to the t- countdown to the gift. Well, we're not counting down to Shavuot. We're counting the Omer up, and as we do, we're going to arrive at Shavuot, right? So we're counting up, recalling God's provision recalling that he's the one who gives bread from heaven that is our sustenance and our source that will carry us along the path to the destination that he wants to bring us to. It's a really beautiful picture. So as we're counting up, there's an increase, there's an anticipation, but there's something that's building. It's not dwindling, it's building. It's building for a culmination. And that's pretty exciting to think of what we're headed to. But man does not live by bread alone, but by everything that proceeds from the mouth of God. He shows us that through the stories of old, and he shows us that, that Yeshua is our Omer. He's our daily provision. He's everything we need from day to day. And so this Omer leads us to complete rest and relationship with God. Right? Will we have complete rest this Shavuot? May it be. right. But we have complete rest in Yeshua today that we get to take part in and look forward to the fullness of it that is yet to come. So when we're looking at this and walking in the Omer, what are the eyes that we see with? Are they eyes of expectation? Eyes of expectation that God can redeem and restore that which was lost? that he can take the afflictions of our past, the difficulties that we've walked in, even our failures, and come to us and say, look, I know you remember those. I know they come back to haunt you. I've seen them, and I wanna heal those. I wanna heal those so that you don't carry that baggage with you as you go forward. So bring it to me. Let me touch that place. Let me bring that restoration I'm not a king who holds it over you. I'm a king who redeems it so that you can go forward. I seek out that which was lost to bring back wholeness. So we come and even as Paul said earlier, we surrender. We lay it down before the Lord and say, "All of this, all of this is yours. Everything I am, all that I have, all that I have been, that doesn't define who I am. You define who I am. And you'll bring that restoration. And in the midst of it, you'll look at me and you'll say, come, follow me. We have a loving father. A loving father. A king like no other. So may we go forward as those who have been called to follow him and restored to glorify his name in all the earth amen all right let's pray father we love you and we bless you we thank you for the kindness and compassion that you show to us lord the patience with which you endure the long suffering you have because your desire is to seek and to save that which is lost and that you seek us out individually and you seek out a national restoration as well thank you lord that we can trust you to bring these about Because with you, all things are possible. Lord, I ask that you minister to each of us. Lord, you know what our needs are. You know what our hurts are. You know what our questions are. Lord, may we come to you as a loving Father and ask, knowing that you hear our prayers, you hear our cries. Thank you, Lord, for your love and for your goodness. We bless you and ask these things in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this message, please consider sharing it with a friend or family member and help us out by giving a review on iTunes or other podcast platform. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org for additional teachings and information about visiting Emmaus Road in Kingwood, Texas.